Talk Recorded live. Hello again, everybody. This is Pastor Visser from the beautiful heart of the Dirty South. That is downtown Brooks, Georgia, bringing you this very special Wednesday night Bible study. And with me this evening to discuss universalism, what it is and exactly where it comes from, is a good friend and associate, Pastor Eli James. Are you there, dear brother? Uh, Yes, I am, brother. Thank you very much. Yeah, it can't be dirtier in Brooks, Georgia than it is in Chicago, Illinois. I can guarantee you that. Oh, I believe it, yeah. (laughs) Probably the only place dirtier or darker would probably be Detroit. Yeah, right. There you go. No doubt about that. Yes, yes. uh, Absolutely. yeah, universalism Absolutely. is one of those concepts that, you know, we need to have a concrete definition for in identity. Obviously, the churches have their own definition, and uh, the exterminists, uh, they have their own definition. So, you know, we need to, as uh, I think it was Voltaire who said, that uh, if you would speak with me, define your terms, okay? So we need to get on the same page. So in order to understand one another, we have to know the definitions that we employ for very important terms, okay? And so that's what we want to clarify tonight. With, you know, without any vindictiveness or especially no name-calling, right? And just get to the heart of the matter. What is universalism? Yeah, exactly, because it seems like to me, just like with the old Jew label that they labeled Christ and Hitler with, it right. seems to be almost like the the, the new N-word for this millennium, you know, because basically <laughs> right. when a lot of people out there disagree with somebody, they say, ah, oh, he's a universalist. But yeah, when I right. think universalist, yeah, it's, I it's think like, Catholic, you know. Right, you're an anti-Semite, <laughs> right? It's it's the new pejorative, right. Exactly, Well, well said. Yeah, so, uh, but of course, when a word is used in a pejorative manner, it's, it loses its meaning, as the word anti-Semite has lost its meaning, right? You know, what, what in the world, is, you know, because uh, if you complain uh, that somebody is a Zionist and that you, you don't agree with Zionist tactics, you know, well, the Jews will say, well, you're an anti-Semite. Well, yeah. what does that mean? I mean, can't you, can't you criticize Zionism? Okay, I mean, obviously it should be Zionism should be fair game for discussion. So should Judaism. So should Jewry. You know, so that uh, when somebody starts to call you names, does that mean that uh, that person is automatic? His opinion is automatically worthless. <laughs> well, of course, that's the purpose of a pejorative, right? To to try to shut that person up and make him seem like his opinion is of no value, right? So and uh, so that's what's uh, occurring with the word universalism. Yeah. Now, okay. Let me uh, get back into the chat room uh, at a different website here. And uh, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, I was wondering if um, Pastor Dan got my message or not. Uh, I don't see him in the chat room, so I guess not. So, uh, but in any case, uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead, uh, Pastor Versa. Do you do a a usual inter, uh, introduction to the show, or or have you got something uh, in, introductory planned for tonight, or no? Oh, I got quite a bit of material. Basically, yeah, I was gonna. I usually preach kind of after after the oh. fact, but I mean that's fine because um, what I did have was basically the definition of the word Catholic, which I think is quite interesting because in my own private studies, you know, when we start looking at least according to the New Testament, and this is my opinion now, on any class of people 
that Christ dealt with that would be closest to universalists of his time, it would have been the Pharisees. The, yes, yes. And that's exactly what I was going to preach on, of course, later on. Or we can cover some of those things this evening, because I do have extensive notes when it comes to universalism and the aspect that... Right. You know, basically, walking around saying, I'm the only game in town, like the, the Roman Catholic Church does, is a form of universalism, in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the word Catholic does mean universal. Most, most Catholics don't even know that, all right? And, and I would have to say the, the reason, the, the basic universalism of the Roman Catholic Church is actually a form of imperialism religious and ultimately became military imperialism conversion by the sword of all races that all nations and races that were unfortunate enough to be invaded by the catholic forces of the roman catholic church okay obviously that's not christian that never was christian that was not christ's mandate uh his um you know, command to the apostles to go out. He didn't say, go out and conquer nations. He said, you know, go out and, you know, avoid Samaria, but preach to the Israelites and the various nations that you come across, right? So it was a very exclusive message. It was not a broad-based imperialistic message by any stretch of the imagination. However, today, I think in Protestantism, we have a kind of theological imperialism, by which they claim that all people can be saved by, you know, making an altar call or being born again or being baptized without repentance, etc., etc., right? So, I mean, there's various forms of universalism out there. And the question is, you know, is, is there any teaching coming from Christian identity that can be labeled properly? but honestly, as universalism, okay? <laughs> and that's an oxymoron in itself, because, yeah, exactly, when it comes to dual seed-line Christian identity, I mean, we pretty much mirror exactly what Christ said, which is go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, or right. I come only. And so exactly what I was trying to point out about it being a, a, a form of slander, if you will, or, or a new dirty word, because I've noticed lately a lot of people have taken to doing that. Well, so-and-so is a universalist. So as if to say, don't listen to them. But, you know, Scripture, right. according to me, Christ says, my sheep hear my voice. And basically the, the people who are so worried about what everybody else or who everybody else is listening to, in my estimation, mm -hmm. are in error because it flies in the face of what Christ taught. Yeah, and uh, Christ actually, he preached to a diverse multitude. And the reason why he spoke in parables, as he clearly explained in Matthew chapter 13, was so that only the Israelites would understand the parable, okay? Because it was only for Israel to know the secrets of the kingdom, <laughs> right? So uh, I have been criticized because, let's say for one thing, a couple of years ago, I went on a black talk show, and my purpose on going to that black talk show was to try to explain to blacks that white people are not their oppressors. Their real oppressors are the Jews, okay? And my purpose in talking to them was not to try to preach the gospel to them in any way, shape, or form. I had no intention of doing that, nor did I. Nevertheless, the mere fact that I appeared on that show was interpreted by some people as, you know, me engaging in universalism. I was not trying to convert them to anything. 
<laughs> I was just trying to tell them, hey, we white people are not your oppressors. Your real oppressors are the Jews. Well, it turned out the the person who uh, runs that show got sick, and he had a substitute that night. And the substitute brought on all of these uh, very interesting black Hebrew guys. Okay? Oh, wow. All right? Who believe that they are God's chosen people, Israel. Right? <laughs> and, sure. And, and the guy had me muted for the most, and I really never got a chance to say what I wanted to say. Uh, and it turned out into, you know, I, I wound up just refuting their notions that blacks are the Israel of the Bible. Okay, uh, just, uh, these guys actually believed that. So uh, it, to me, it was an instructive uh, experience because the, the only the only possible way that these blacks could ever have possibly come to believe that is because traitor white ministers had been preaching the gospel to them, telling them that they are the object of the Gospels, of all this gospel yeah. preaching, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so even though the purpose I went on that show was uh, you know, confused and defeated, nevertheless, uh, I began to realize the full impact of this black Hebrew movement. And now there's all kinds of blacks out there who actually are believing that they are the Israel of the Bible. All <laughs> 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 right? As a, whoa, well, that's the product of universalism. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as uh, as far as Negroes serving Jesus Christ, well, it seems like Christ didn't know about that one until about 200 years ago, because historically, you know, it was really the white slave masters who were pushing it on them, quote-unquote. That's, that's interesting, yeah, because if it weren't for the white slave masters, you know, doing that, and I think they were only doing, again, they were only doing that as a form of imperialism to to placate, you know, any um, you know uprisings, any uh, you know desertions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, because obviously, when a slave master purchased a slave for a high price, that was an investment. He didn't want to lose that slave, and therefore, you know, he, he preached Christianity to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, hell and damnation if you if you run away. That's true. Right. <laughs> And, and it's hard for us to get out of these churches too, right? Uh, it was interesting to me. I've just been reading a uh, an autobiogra- autobiography, not autobi, but a biography of Abraham Lincoln by uh, Lord Charnworth, a British guy, and he tries to assess Abraham Lincoln's form of Christianity, and he concludes. Uh, he basically sums it up by saying. Abraham Lincoln was not a church-going Christian himself, but he read the Bible, he believed the Bible's principles, he especially believed in the New Testament. He took his sons to church every Sunday, although he himself, by himself, was not a church-going Christian. And I thought to myself, well, Lord Charnworth is describing a Christian identian. <laughs> Someone you know, who rejects mainstream, orthodox, church-going Christianity, but nevertheless believes in the principles of the Bible, okay? Because we yeah, perceive. absolutely. In yes. fact, if I was to sum up that word universalist, it would, it would probably be under that. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Dan might be on the line, but but okay. the word I would choose would be uh, 
basically almost like the Catholic. It would be Pharisee first and foremost, but the, the Catholics in a way, for example, when they come and they call me racist, to me it's more racist that they're going over to Japan telling all the Asians that they're going to burn in the Christian hell if they don't, you know, if they don't return from Buddha, their own God. <laughs> their form of hell, right, their interpretation of hell, right. Exactly. Yeah. So it would be hypocrisy would be that one word. Yeah, yeah, and I would ask the question, why can't we leave those people alone? Okay, and the same thing applies to liberalism. Liberalism are universalists and imperialists, even though they might not uh, accept either one of those descriptions, right? Because they're always imposing their view of the world on everybody else. Exactly. And if you don't exactly. like it, we'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. We'll use the United States military to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the interesting thing about it is because, you know, the Pharisee had that same mindset, as do most, especially Latter-day Catholics, where they say, you know, and again, Catholic as a word does mean universalist, but they're the ones who walk around and say, if you're not Catholic, you're going to burn in hell. Now, I'm right. starting to see that in CI, and that's, that's kind yeah, of right. sad no, because... Yeah, no, we're yeah. supposed to reason together. Yeah, this exactly. whole watchman on the wall thing, you know, when you really study yeah. out what a watchman is, according to the Old Testament, it was always about warfare. It was keeping women away from being raped. Yeah. But when it comes down to reasoning together in the scriptures, it's always done according to the Bible. Right, yeah. Come let us reason together. We should never allow ourselves to be uh, manipulated by pejoratives, uh, you know, by insults and, uh, you know, false characterizations of other people's work, okay? And so uh, that is, it's actually childish. It's very childish. So, you know, we can't, we can't allow ourselves in identity to go down that road, you know, and that, that's, that's how denominationalism began, you know? So again, yeah, come let us reason together. What are the facts? What are the reasons for you know, your theology. What are the exact reasons for your theology? I want to understand your theology before I criticize it or, you know, to determine whether I should, it is worthy of ridicule, okay? Whether it is something that should be rejected or considered rationally, okay? That's where we in identity have to be. We can't be in any other mode. Okay, here's the definition of universalism from my dictionary. The theological doctrine that all souls will eventually achieve salvation through the grace of God. That sounds a lot like the whole, uh, all Israel shall be saved, so basically we don't have to do anything anymore doctrine. <laughs> right. yeah, you're, you're already saved. Grace guarantees your salvation, so happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> so why is the world constantly suffering? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? a good point. Yeah. yeah, so obviously the grace of God, as they see it, is not working in the world today. First of all, the grace of God... You know, and all the covenants, the uh, promises, the inheritance was only guaranteed to one people, the Israelites. Okay? And so consequently, those covenant promises made through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cannot be expanded to include any other group of people or any other organization. I have stated this thousands of times. 
that these covenants and promises cannot be broadened, expanded, changed, subtracted from, or added to. Amen. Okay. Amen. And and on the same token, also, I would add that that the non-whites and all of these people who aren't covenant people aren't subject to the laws, unless it's in a roundabout way, like an invader in the land. You know. And I think that's why a lot of people do do that, is they try to bring the law to the Negro who doesn't have the Spirit of God to be able to discern it. Right, right. So, uh, uh, by the way, I do have to go at the end of the hour because uh, I'm committed to uh, the uh, Ed Fife presentation, okay? So uh, I only have about an hour for tonight's show. So, uh, Pastor Visser, I would just like to ask you, I don't know if you have you had a chance to think about, and many people in the chat room uh, provide their definition of the word universalism. You know, so what does what is a universalist to you, you know, if you had to define it in a few words? If I had to define it in, 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 in one word or in a few words, it would be closest to a universalist that I could think of would be mostly these Judeo-Christians who are universally sending out their quote-unquote missionaries to Asia and Kenya and all over the place. <laughs> right. That would be a form of universalism. And I think most people would probably have you know a, a vision or a thought similar to that, which is exactly why I think it's, it's a straw man attack in a lot of ways, because the first time some Someone hears that for one, a CI pastor being a universalist. Well, it's impossible. Right. But when they hear that, what they think is, oh, well, they're obviously sending Bibles to uh, to Africa, like Wyland yeah. did, or trying to convert non-whites, you know, to our religion. Uh, that that would be the first assumption. Okay. Uh, there, there's never been a, a CI pastor in history who has ever done that. Me included. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's not it's not existent in Christian identity. However, you know when someone levies the charge that you are trying to do that, then you know uh, an answer must be made. Okay. So uh, so your you know your response to the question is that a universalist is someone who's trying to convert all races to the religion of the Bible. Yeah, and okay. that'd probably be the broadest definition. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, well, here's my definition because I've you know thought about this a lot in the interim. Universalism is the idea that uh, the promises, covenants, salvation, and inheritance promised to Israel can be given to any other people or entity, such as a church or another race or a mixed race. Okay, that's my definition of universalism. I have never taught any such thing, nor will I ever teach any such thing. <laughs> okay? yeah. It's the it's the denominational churches of uh, you know Judeo Christianity who teach that. Okay, because their uh, basic uh, ambition is to get more butts in the pews, all right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and how, you know, I might add, how few things change, how there really is nothing new under the sun, because on the opposite end of that, you know, most people know who my main detractor is, and he's one of the main detractors for everybody. And one of the main things he does that's in common with a lot of these other alphabet soup groups is he worries himself and concerns himself with what other men are doing. In short, being right. a busybody and other men's instead of working out their own <laughs> salvation with beer and trembling. It yes. seems to me that's one of the modus operandi of the of the hypocrite. Yeah, but that, isn't that what the Jews do? 
the Jews always busy themselves with other people's affairs, making life miserable for them. Yeah, and even going as far as to speak for other people. And to me, that's the biggest ludicrousness of all. I'm going to listen to that person, which is Christian due process. Christ yes. says we are to go to that person and ask them, before I listen to somebody else telling me what that person thinks. So in essence, a lot of that is just blowing hot wind, because anybody right. who truly is knows Christ says, my sheep hear my voice, they follow, and the voice of a stranger they won't. They're not going to be so worried. In fact, my advice to the listener is listen to everybody go listen to martin lynn's debt go listen to whoever because in doing so you'll be able to come you know to the truth but when you start blocking people off and saying you know in a way don't listen to them you're to me you're insulting the flock of god who don't listen to that person because he does not agree with me (laughs) yeah and when you had said juvenile that was the first thing that popped in my mind because it's fourth grade people when you start saying hey if you're friends with james you can't be friends with me right and that's what i'm starting to hear and that's divisiveness that's divisiveness based not on understanding of the issues that's divisiveness merely on personalities and ad hominem attacks, which is clearly yeah. forbidden in Scripture. By the way, it's been going on in the chat room. Uh, the person here I see, I am Craw, and also probably the same person as Mr. Rosenblatt, ha- have accused me of being uh, uh, somehow being universalist because I am now on Facebook. Okay. Oh. Well, now, okay. uh, now, now I know a lot of people who accuse me of being universalist have been on Facebook much longer than I have. Okay, yeah. much much longer than I. I just recently got on board about a month ago because you know, as you know, my uh, my Anglo-Saxon Israel website was taken down last July. And uh, I've had to rebuild it very patiently for the last six months. And I figured, well, the Jews know who I am and where I am. I, I might as well go on Facebook. They already know everything about me anyway. Okay? Yeah. So uh, I might as well go on Facebook and, and start trying to convert people on Facebook. Now, these, see, these people are accusing me of being universalist because I'm trying to convert people on Facebook. See, you can't do anything. You're damned if you do. You're damned, <laughs> damned if you if don't. You don't. No, because I they because have actually, made their minds up. They're not, re- they're not amenable to reason. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is you've got to kind of go where, where the people are, are feasting. And one of the biggest wings of Covenant People's Ministry in the last year or so has been YouTube, which unfortunately is owned by Google. Right. And owned yeah. by, you know, but in reality, I get more co- positive comments and more thumbs up over on YouTube. So that's where I'm going to focus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have to yeah. we have to exploit every means possible to reach out to our brethren who are of the Adamic race. Okay, and that and the internet. Yahweh, I firmly believe that Yahweh has given us the internet for the express purposes of bringing the the sleeping sheeple back into the fold. He said, "Feed my sheep." Now, yeah. Well, we have to feed them where where they're at via the internet because it costs way too much. <laughs> Traveling expenses today are just way too high. Yeah. So so we have to feed the sheep where they're at. And why should we even have to face criticism for trying to do that? 
You know, the reason, the reason yeah. for it is, is just like Christ promised in my estimation. Woe unto you when men speak evil for my name's sake. Yes. Not for robbing a bank, but when it, when it comes down to theology and people rail on me, I take it usually, or call me a Jew, I take it as a compliment because they did the same thing to Hitler and Jesus. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and of course the Jews are, are well known for you know, establishing their own uh, agent provocateurs who, um, what's his name, Douglas Reed, aptly called bogus anti-Semites, okay? So uh, they have these bogus anti-Semites who go around acting as trolls, some of whom are in the chat room right now, (laughs) pretending to be anti-Semites, pretending to speak in the name of anti-Semitism when they're actually working for the Jews, yeah, yeah our people, exactly. Our people have to know that the Jews do this, hire people to do this, in order to divide and conquer. Yeah, and that's what that's what me and Obadiah have tried to point out, <laughs> is that, you know, Paul was all about unity. So was Christ, at least when it came to the brotherhood. Yes. But yeah. when these agents come in and it's all about sowing discord, scripturally, that should tell you right there, A, they're not Christian, and of course I have yes. the quotes for that. And it should tell you also that they have the spirit of ego, which That's is right. the spirit of error, because it's all about me, me, me. Amen. 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 Well, I mean, that's the least problem. That's the least of the problems if it's just about ego. But you're absolutely right. That is unchristian. And uh, any any intelligent Christian, any intelligent Christian identist or identian should understand that anybody who plays that game is either one insincere or number two a provocateur because it's so blatantly unchristian that anybody who engages in that type of activity must immediately be suspected of being a divide and conquer agent Okay. Yeah, I completely agree, because it flies in the face of almost everything that Christ taught. And Christ, again, pretty much confirmed the Old Testament. But when it came down to beam and moats or you know, <laughs> yeah, take the... sinners and publicans, we're seeing the same thing. It was right, the, take the, the publican... beam out of your eye before you complain about the moat in my eye. By the way, Dan from Georgia says, Pastor Visser, if you're not being criticized, then you're not doing something wrong. <laughs> then you're doing something wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, that yeah. is true. That's the way but on, that, on the tail end of that whole statement, Christ even qualifies it by saying, you must take the beam out of your own eye first right. in order to be able to see. And right. basically what he's saying is anybody who does that and engages in those types of activities, being a busybody in other people's affairs, right. are already blind. Right. Now, and that, that reminds me of the issue of the whore taken in adultery that was about to be stoned. Okay. So the question is, who are you? Are you sinless? So that you can cast the first stone without having to be judged yourself, okay? And that was the issue. The fact that he he told that whore, go home, but do not sin again, okay? The, The fact that nobody in that crowd was sinless to the point where he had the right to throw that first stone. 
and he basically humiliated Yahshua humiliated all the people in that crowd and they just walked away one by one so when somebody is in our crowd casting aspersions casting stones at people who are doing their absolute best to awaken the white race to, to Caucasian people to their identity as Israel and all of a sudden somebody comes in and starts casting stones at the preachers we have to say wait wait a minute what the what's going on here who is doing this and why yeah okay. why being the most important part yes because yeah i mean i would think that a lot of a lot of the people who do engage in there and there's a long list that's been going on for probably a decade now of people who spend all their time attacking other ministries yes the reason they do it would probably be just like the pharisee in that they have more to atone for than the person they're attacking oftentimes yes. well yeah and then i would remind everybody in christian identity that a uh, pastor Sheldon Emery, uh, J uh, Dr. Wesley Swift, Bertrand Compare, even uh, Pastor Richard Butler. Uh, you go down the list. None of them, absolutely none of them, engaged in backbiting, backstabbing, false accusations, or trying to undercut another pastor's ministry. Never. Yeah, that's they true. Never I've did never did anything that. like that. Okay. So who the hell are these people? to come and try to destroy established ministries that have never preached universalism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. We've lightheartedly started taking to certain factions, calling them, you know, the CI police, because they yeah, really right. think yeah, that they exactly. should go around the CI and thought police. Yeah, yeah. Universalism police. Very good. <laughs> All right. Yes. And so, you know, what we have here, and now here, uh, let me go, I have a prepared uh, text from Deuteronomy chapter 20, nice. which which I want to uh, discuss. And uh, I see that, uh, uh, I thought uh, Pastor Dan was in the chat room. Uh, oh, I thought he was. My wife sent me a note. Basically, she was asking whether I should call him on three-way or not. But I was oh, like, well, okay. too late now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think he has a show later this evening. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so in Deuteronomy chapter 20, we're given the the uh, rules of engagement of how the Israelites are to deal with non-Israelites in the uh, in the world. Okay, and uh, it's obviously in Deuteronomy chapter seven, the Israelites were told to exterminate seven particular tribes. Okay, that information should be you know, well-known to every Christian identity, and we shouldn't even have to repeat that stuff, right? So those seven Canaanite tribes, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Canaanites, etc., those tribes, Yahweh instructed the Israelites, you shall exterminate these people. No questions asked. This is what I want you to do. Go do it. The problem is, they didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they left some of those tribes uh, and, and took them in tribute. Uh, same problem that, that uh, slavery, uh, uh, you know, created in America, because as we brought more blacks in, and as the slave owners were breeding more blacks, they were creating an immense problem of too many blacks, right? Yeah. Right in our midst, which created race mixing, which created uh, all kinds of racial tensions, problems uh, for the society, spillover from southern slaves into north, because the, 
the slaves who didn't want to be slaves uh, were constantly escaping and going into the north. And the north people were saying, what do we do with these people now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Stop making more blacks, right? That, <laughs> exactly. That, that, that was the attitude of the north, essentially. All right, now, Deuteronomy chapter 20. When you go out to battle against your enemies, see horses and chariots and people more than you, be not afraid of them, for Yahweh your Elohim is with you, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when you are come near to the battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you approach this day to battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be you terrified because of them. For Yahweh your Elohim is he that goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Okay? So obviously... When Yahweh wants us to do something, we should have no fear because we are doing his will, and he will fight for us, okay? The Bible teaches us this over and over and over. But now, that, that's, just, uh, that's just part of the lesson. And then when the Israelites confront these other nations, verse 9, And it shall be when the officers have made an end of speaking to the people that they shall make captains of, uh, of the armies to lead the people. And when you come near to a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace to it. Now, these are non-Israelite people. Bear in mind, these are non-Israelite people. And it shall be if it make you answer a peace. In other words, if the city that they approach says, okay, we accept your terms of peace and open to you, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries to you, and they shall serve you. Okay? It does not say that you shall kill them just because they're they're not white. Yeah, yeah, and I've also kind of noticed that even though Yahweh does oftentimes say go in, it's usually always conditional. It's like before yes. you enter into the land of Canaan. It's not in the law per se. It's a temporary thing. If you do this, right. then I'll give you the land of Canaan. But otherwise, right. no, so it's not a, one of those forever things. So that's a really right, yeah. great analogy, yeah. Well, it, it does, yeah, there's no way that that means that we should go around the world conquering all non-white nations, right? Those, are, those specific instructions were for that specific time and for those specific nations, those seven Canaanite nations, and he brings them up again here in Deuteronomy chapter 20, okay? So what we need to understand, that there's no command to us anywhere in Scripture to exterminate all the non-white races merely because they're non-white. In fact, verse 11 here tells us, if they accept terms of peace with us, We are to make them tributary to us. Now, what does that mean? That does not mean you can take black slaves into your household or onto your farm or onto your plantation and enslave them for your personal, you know, personal use. What this means, means, right, what this means is that they are to remain as an independent nation separate from you, separate from us so they can live at peace amongst themselves and not interbreed among us. Okay? Yeah. It's Just a like national the whole scripture thing. Confirmed. Sure, yes. the New Testament, come out from among them, but be separate. Amen. Don't go in and kill them all. Amen. Amen. We are to remain separate. Okay? Numbers 23, 9. Israel shall dwell alone and shall not be counted among the nations. 
It can't be any clearer. Now, if we destroy all those nations, <laughs> as the exterminationists falsely teach, well, of course, you know, there are no other nations to stay aloof from, right? Verse yeah. 12, and if it will make no peace with you, but will make war against you, then you shall besiege it. But not until go. they have rejected your offer of peace. Okay? So the exterminationists have this rule that if someone accepts the existence of other races, that person is a universalist. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is what they mean by the word universalist. But, you know, when they go out publicly spouting their nonsense, they uh they don't they know that most people don't understand that they're using a, a a pejorative and that they have a private definition of the word universalism so when they use the word universalism they know that the listener falsely believes that they're calling that person a race traitor or an integrationist yeah okay this is very Jewish. That is very, that's exactly what I was going to point out, because the Jew doesn't care if, how far-fetched their lies are or even how non-grounded in reality are. What they care about is saying the lies and saying it over and over and hoping that other people pick it up and run with it. Yeah, right, exactly. And that's, well, it's demagoguery and it's deception. We are never, we Israelites are never to practice deception. Never. Amen. And even in the Old Testament, remember Shechem? When the, uh, I forget the two brothers, I think it was Levi and Simeon, who went in and because Shechem had raped Dinah, their sister, yeah, they went in and uh, they, they talked to Shechem and you know, because they, there was an overwhelming force, there were just the two brothers, they, you know, they negotiated and the two brothers falsely promised the Shechemites, well, if you circumcise your foreskins, <laughs> yeah, then, you can, right. then you can marry our women. Then they went in and slaughtered them. Right, yeah, I remember this story. Yeah. That's a great one. No, no they, they had no right to prom make such a promise. Yeah. They had no right to make such a promise. Yeah, because God hadn't spoken it. They were speaking out of their right. own hearts. That's sure. right. God hadn't spoken it, and he would never speak it, because Yahweh knows that if our people are, in, if his righteous people are in danger, he will intervene on our behalf, period. Yeah. End of story. We don't need to know anymore. Has. That's true. Right. And so the, the mere existence of the other races is no threat to us. Even the existence of the Jews is no threat to us, if we would but obey his laws. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Satan was in the Garden of Eden, was he not? And therefore, <laughs> if Adam and Eve would have obeyed, that's he wouldn't right. have gotten consent. They would have to never death. fallen. Yeah. Right, right. And so when the parasite comes in and invades our country and takes over our country, who is really at fault? I'd say we are as a that's nation right. for being disobedient, yeah. Exactly. And uh, as I like to say, and and... Bill Fink even agreed with me when I made the, the first time I made this statement. When we Israelites disobey Yahweh's laws, Jews happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Okay. And, and if we didn't disobey his laws, Jews wouldn't happen. So what's the solution to the problem? 
killing all the non-whites or obeying his laws. Yeah, it's almost like scripturally, you know, the whole non-white is truly as the beast of the field. And as such, it's like I said in past interviews, I don't hate Marty Lindsay, And the reason I don't it's hate not. him is because I pity him. He's retarded. Right. You know, and I he was created. He's a pathetic creature. <laughs> yeah, he was created to be evil, just like, you know, the Negro. Right. <laughs> And that's that's exactly what I'm saying. I don't hate right. anybody. It's it's more ourselves that need to get right because exactly. the plague, the locust armies that are coming yeah. upon us, isn't because of universalism <laughs> per se. Right. But it's because of our disobedience. Right. And there would be no universalism if we would obey Yahweh's laws. Yeah. Okay. It's only those who refuse to obey His laws that are the universalists and, of course, the antinomians. Now, here's the other aspect of exterminationism that actually was pointed out to me by Alan Truitt. I didn't even realize it was part of their theology until he pointed it out to me. And that is this teaching that uh, if you're born an Israelite, you're automatically saved. Oh, yeah. The one <laughs> well, thing like... always say, how is that any different than Judeo-Christianity, the all Israel saved? It's the same thing they teach in the Universalist Church. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, you don't even have to make an altar call. <laughs> right? Yeah, you, all you got to do is be born white. You're saved, doesn't matter how you live. And, of course, that's a false interpretation of all Israel shall be saved. Okay, but all Israel, obviously, not every Israelite who ever lived uh, was saved. Okay, yeah, exactly. that, that, just because they have white skin doesn't mean there is Israel. Right. That just means that all twelve tribes, as constituted by Yahweh, will exist as an independent tribe forever. Okay, mm-hmm. and and that's in Revelation chapter twenty-one. I think it's twenty-one twelve. The New Jerusalem will consist of the twelve tribes of Israel. But how many? 12 times 12,000 is how many? Uh, 144. Yeah, 144,000. It's not, wait, not more than 144,000, right? Now, I'm not saying that we, the, those 144,000 aren't going to produce more Israelites. They, they certainly are. And uh, after the kingdom is established, those 144,000 will expand and grow to whatever number Yahweh wants. But that does not mean that every previous Israelite who ever lived will be saved and you know get allowed to be entering into the kingdom. Yeah. Okay, that's that's not exactly. What those and how's that say. for universalism? Because that everyone universalism. I know in CI expouses that the twelve tribes that are sealed in the first two chapters of Revelation are essentially all those that make it into the kingdom. Yes, and that's only not those. universalism, <laughs> and only those. Now let's go to John chapter fifteen. Because I want to prove the point that you cannot teach that all Israelites are saved merely having been born Israelites. Okay? And so, I mean, this is really, in essence, it's a form of antinomianism. Because it teaches that it doesn't matter whether a white person obeys the law or not. He's automatically saved. Yeah, right? it's an excuse to sin, exactly. It's, well, yeah, I mean, they won't admit that, but it is. I agree. Now, here, John chapter 15, verse 1. Yahshua, referring to himself. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Okay? So, in, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 22, it says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Okay? So, he is the vine. Okay, 
the Israel vine, okay? Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, or prunes it is the better word, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Okay, so, but we have to accept the word. We have to eat the word, ingest the word, absorb it, so that we can follow his example. It's not just a matter of hearing, sitting in the church pew and listening to the gospel. No, that's true. That's trivial. I know. The devils believe in tremble, you know. Belief yeah. isn't much. <laughs> right, that's yeah. right. Belief is nothing. You have to act on your belief. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. All right, are you beginning to get the flavor of this? If you don't accept me wholeheartedly, it's curtains for you, man. Exactly, and one th- that's the thing I was going to point out. It seems like Christ, if anything, always taught, at least when he railed against the Pharisees, worry about yourself time right. and time again. And so, again, that's a perfect analogy because they're not abiding within Christ, and it's another confirmation that it's right. not a very Christian spirit that yes. fuels so, the whole campaign. So he's saying, you know, he's speaking to his Israelite people. His fellow countrymen, he's telling them, except you abide in me, you are lost, and there is no salvation for you. Let's read the proof. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, it's mutual, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Amen. So you better not abandon your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he's talking about Adamites, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Man. Amen. That's second witness for the parable of the tares and confirmation that those foolish goats who stand on the left hand of Christ, who said, <laughs> did we not do great work? Yes. Christ, you know, in your name. Yeah, we did all kinds of stuff in your name, but we didn't bother to obey your law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, okay. So and he might have, all Israel. Yeah. yeah. And he might have granted the, even to perform miracles on their behalf and allowed uh, miraculous healings to take place. But what, but what happened? They, you know, they, they became egotistical and proud because, oh, gee, we did a miracle. Or I did a miracle. Wow. Yeah. I'm great. No, you didn't do any miracle. Yahweh did the miracle. Yeah, exactly. Not you. <laughs> you well, see? Steal the glory of God. That's <laughs> yes, exactly right. why steal we call glory, it the I God's got his own CI cops. We don't exactly. need more, you know? Yes, right, right. So th- this whole concept, uh, universalism is not possible uh, for a two-seed line, you know, covenant, uh, you know, theology minister. It's just not possible. The accusation can only be cast uh, deceptively. It can only be cast deceptively in order to undermine that person's ministry and to cast doubt on the validity of that person's ministry without basis. 
Without yeah. Faith. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. What's going on. Their hope is that they say, well, why am I going to listen to so-and-so? He's because he's a universalist. Right. Exactly. Then I can go out and sin. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, they well, they are already sinners anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that's typically true, but... the people who are are persuaded by such an argument, by such a flimsy, uh, undocumented argument, uh, don't believe in Yahweh's laws anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a so, good. And 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 I suppose we could maybe, if if anything, rest in that that they are maybe these factions a self-correcting flaw in that they do pull a lot of the detractors away from the the true flock of God, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and, and there's another universalist there, right there, Milty Kaplan, <laughs> the trying, you know, again, it's a distraction. They're trying yeah. to distract the sheep from the true message by creating dissension and discord among the flock. So uh, so here, l- let's see the, the flock is in the corral, right? All the sheep are in the corral, and uh, the shepherd had to leave on an emergency, okay? So now here are some wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they jump over the fence, and they're all creating all kinds of distort, uh, dissension and discord among the, among the sheep until finally the true shepherd gets back and he, he restores order. Well, that's who these people are. The false accusers are wolves in sheep's clothing, every last one of them. Yeah, that's what I was going to point out as well, is that the accuser of the brethren is a title reserved exclusively for Satan. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. try as they say, well, the say there's no devil. Anybody who spends all their time accusing other people right. is doing the work of Lucifer, period. Diablos, the accuser, yeah. And, and if anybody... Uh, makes undocumented accusations or flippant accusations. No, instantaneously, that such a person is working for Diablos. No yeah. doubt about it. I mean, hey, wake up, Christian is right. You, you have to realize how Diablos operates. So here, I'm just, uh, I want to give you five principles of you know, two-seed-line covenant identity, and, uh, which is never universalist. Okay. Please do, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, number one, we teach the exclusivity of Israel, okay? That uh, we Israelites are to be an exclusive, and that's what the word, uh, well, holy actually means. It means called out, or set apart, or set aside from the rest. That's what the word holy means, okay? Absolute segregation of the races with no pretense of their equality. We do not preach the equality of the races. We teach the absolute segregation of the races. Okay? Uh, At number three, we teach Adamic dominion. But not not as a, how should I put it, merely racial concept that white people are smarter or intelligent and blah, blah, blah. None of that matters. We do it as a service to Yahweh because that's why he created us. That's what it is. So we do it in humility. Yeah, exactly. And I'll add to that that that's exactly what Swift taught in the 60s was dominion. Yes. Not exterminationism. And that's just for free. But of of all the hours of of Wesley Swift and Bertrand Compare I've ever taught, it was more along the lines of exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it was never extermination. That's a brand new concept. And when somebody creates a new theology, that theology needs to – stand the test of examination 
but the exterminationists refuse to allow it to be examined, and the way they've refused to allow it is by this uh, creating a a wall of sound, as it were, <laughs> a, a wall of ad hominem attack, relentless ad hominem attack against anyone who would question exterminationism, and the pejorative word they use best is universalism. Yeah, exactly, okay. which is another trait of the snake, because, you know, <laughs> Babylon means confusion, and that's, that's exactly right. what they engage in, is confusion. Amen, brother, amen, brother. All right, number four opposition to all established forms of universalism, which means we oppose the Judeo-Christian churches, all of them, because we know they teach universalism in, in all its shades and variations, okay? And uh, you have uh, fulfilled these first four. I have fulfilled these for Pastor Dan Johns has, and every, every identity minister I've ever come across has so far fulfilled all of these provisions of anti-universalism, okay? And number five, the other races were uh, – now, this, this is really the crux of the debate, which is part of the discussion that the exterminationists do not want to discuss, okay? Whether or not the other races were created by Yahweh in Genesis 1, 24 to 25, where the beast of the earth, beast of the field, okay? And under the zoological heading of the Hebrew word che and later behemoth, Okay, which are, of course, translated as beast of the earth or and or beast of the field. Now, the exterminationists claim that Yahweh did not create them. However, Genesis 3.1 clearly states that he did. Yeah, <laughs> right? I know. That's where they fall into the problem there. Right. And, and the fact that it would be the first time in Genesis 3 that he or 2 that he reiterated yes. a section of the book of Genesis. Yes. The beast of the field, which Yahweh had made. Okay. And, of course, they use that by saying Adam, Adam number 119 and 120 is from the same prime root. But be that as it may, one's singular, one's plural. One's general mankind, and one is the Ahadam, yeah. and that's the focus. That's how I've always Well, yeah, now, obviously, Adam is the people who blush, who show blood in the face, and that is exclusively a reference to the white race. Uh, everyone in identity has always taught that and uh, that the white race should remain separate and segregated from all the other races. So that can't possibly be universalist. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Even even if it was, you know, either way, God looked, turned around, and saw everything he had created was good. Right, right. So who are we to say they're bad? Exactly. Right. But now, uh, now the serpent, and uh, let me quote verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1, because the serpent here exists, and the beast of the field exists, which the exterminationists deny, they're only willing to contemplate that the serpent might possibly be a fallen angel or might possibly be some hybrid between a fallen angel and some other four-legged beast, okay? All right? Which <laughs> and God messed up creating Cain, what? the first killer. I know. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. It's no, ridiculous. No, no, no. Yeah, that's a good explanation for why Cain was, you know, a killer. All right. But it would not explain how Eve could have possibly been seduced by such a creature. Yeah, or been considered <laughs> right. the mother of all living. Right, now right. There's, there's evil people living today, yes. people, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, now, now can you imagine that Eve, uh, putatively, the most beautiful and intelligent white woman who ever lived, being seduced by a monkey. <laughs> I know, that's insulting, though. It is insulting. think about it, yeah. 
It's totally insulting. But in order to make their argument work, that's what they have to argue. When I first when I first read this argument, I literally laughed out loud. This is ridiculous. I can't believe that anybody's making such an argument. But and then yeah. they call us universalists yeah, for I trying know. to dispute this. Exactly, and that's what I'm going to point out, you know, in the in the post show sermon, is is the hypocrisy of the the, the slanders. They're always yes. calling everyone else what they are actually they physically are. doing. That's, yeah. and there again, that's Jewish. That's what the yeah. Jews do. They accuse everybody else of what they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the universalism. I've never heard any. CI preacher, including the people that we're somewhat preaching about, you know, right. say anybody who's non-white can be saved or that the law is subject right. to them or anything like that. Yeah, now, uh, now of course, there are non-seed liners who have broached that territory, such as Ted Weiland and, uh, and a few others, okay? But I don't think even Sheldon Emery ever went there. Suggesting yeah. that non-whites can be saved. Only the not, yeah, and he was a non-seed liner. Uh, I've only heard that that subject being tickled by non-seed liners. And yeah. Never a, a two-seed liner would never make such a claim. Uh, they, they talk about the exclusivity exclusivity of the covenants made only with the Adamite Israelites and no one else. Yeah, and that's a really good point because I think the reason they do do it is to keep people preoccupied looking at other people or other men's affairs yeah. while they slip in the poison of no devil or they tell you to not be baptized, which in right. my estimation is a, a lot bigger issue than quote-unquote universalism. But right. I am glad that we were able to define it because it really starts there. What is universalism? We all know it's wicked. We don't have to define it as anything other than contrary to CI doctrine in a lot of ways, right. and that should be the be-all, end-all of it, but it won't be. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, we're being um, subjected to a litany of false doctrines that are coming at us claiming to be identity doctrines, okay? And uh, there, there are several culprits, but you, you mentioned the, the concept of baptism, and I know that uh, many of these exterminationists preach against the concept of baptism. You know, they say, well, yeah. you don't need to be baptized in water because you were baptized when you were born. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Okay? And it doesn't matter that Christ did it, you know, yeah, don't, don't right, follow right. his example, exactly. <laughs> well, now, these are Christ's last words in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me read chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go you, therefore, and teach all nations. And, of course, we understand that being the nations in which the, the, the Israelites happen to have been scattered. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Exactly. Those are exactly. His clear instructions. Baptize them. I'm reminded of, of when they asked in the book of Acts, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent each of you and be baptized for the yeah. remission of sins. Now they've the already been born, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The word itself means to make fully whelmed and or well. Right. But 
that's what I think it is. Is this emergence? Yeah, if they can get people focused on this, well, like a true Pharisee who does keep people out of the kingdom because he's not entering in, that's yeah. their their tactics. That's exactly what they focus on. Right. Okay. All right, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure, and uh, it, it's it's actually fun to discuss these issues with someone who hasn't got a mean spirit trying to reinterpret and distort every word you're saying. Right, Excellent. that's not the spirit of the Bible. It's not the spirit of Christianity. It's the spirit of Diablos. Amen. 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 All right, thank you, Jeremy. Hey. I really appreciate you letting me come on. And uh, uh, one day, I'd like to talk about oneness <laughs> as well. Okay. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good idea. Me and Obi yeah. cover that a lot. In fact, we okay. did a six-part series on it. But thank oh. you so much. Okay. Thank you very much. Yahweh bless. Thank you. Bye. Good night. And so with that, dear kinsfolk, you heard it first and you heard it here at Covenant People's Radio. Again, you are listening to Wednesday Night Bible Study. At this point, I'd like to take a brief intermission, if you will. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. But invite you at this time, if you're, you've been touched by this ministry, you want to support this ministry, or just send your questions, send them to our post office box, which is accessible at Covenant People's Ministry, P.O. Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Once again, that's Covenant People's Ministry, home of the Covenant People's Church, P.O. Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. And with that, I would like to cover some of the things that me and Eli discussed in tonight's broadcast. What is universalism? Well, first and foremost, it should be pointed out that if any sect of Christianity were to be resemblance of a universal church, that would be the Catholics. Indeed, Catholicism as a word means universalism, and I quote, quote, the Greek roots of the term Catholic mean, according to kata, the whole, helios, end quote, or more, or more specifically, universal. Universal means Catholic. At the beginning of the second century, we find in the letters of Ignatius I, surviving use, the very first Use of the word Catholic in reference to the, quote-unquote, church. At that time or shortly thereafter, it was you referred to use to a single, visible communion and separate from others. And so what we see here is the separatist gone awry. If you will, there were many times that the Pharisees thought themselves, oh, so pure, that they would never go the places that Jesus Christ would go. They would never do the things that Jesus Christ would do. And moreover, they would consider anybody who followed the teachings of Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah, to be a heretic, not fit for the kingdom. Now, it should be pointed out that Jesus Christ would rail against the Pharisees time and time again and call them hypocrites. In fact, a perfect quote for that can be found this evening, if you will, on in Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, Christ says this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Stopping right there. The Pharisees, at least during Jesus' time, would sit in Moses' seat, meaning they professed to teach what? The law. 
And even though the law and the fifth commandment says thou shalt not kill, the Pharisee, being a perfect hypocrite, would spend all their time conspiring to murder Jesus Christ. But during that time, they would stand there and they would say thou shalt not kill. Quite entertaining, is it not? Well, it goes to show the level of deception. As Eli James pointed out in tonight's broadcast, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field that Yahweh God had created, meaning that you'd at least better resolve yourself to know that you do not know the thoughts of the devil. In fact, as soon as you think you may have, have him figured out, then you might as well resolve yourself to figuring that you don't know. Why? Because what you think the devil will not be is exactly how he will repair will appear to you at least here jesus christ says woe unto you you're hypocrites you're scribes and pharisees outwardly you want to appear as so clean yet what they don't clean the inside inside they're full of hypocrisy and he would make the same analogy when he would say woe unto ye scribes and pharisees for you appear as whitened sepulchers outwardly or at least the outside of the sepulcher the building appeared white clean and pure, but inwardly they were full of dead man's bones, meaning that the wages of hypocrisy lead you to sin, and sin ultimately leads you to death. But next verse in Matthew chapter 23, verse 26, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. What's that, what's that say to you and I in this day and age? What it says is those who spend all their time worrying about other people, spending all their time attacking other ministries, aren't clean inwardly. And that's the very reason why they do it. They spend all their time saying, well, look at what Jesus is doing in regard to the Pharisee. And in the latter day, what they say is, oh, well, you better not listen to Pastor so-and-so. And so-and-so is a Red Creek engine or whatever slander they may make up, but nonetheless, that's one such teaching of Jesus Christ when it came to the hypocritical Pharisee. The Pharisee was the teacher of the law. The Pharisee professed himself to be a Greek or a Hebrew expert. They would so much so believe themselves to have all truth that they could rebuke the Son of God, or God himself in flesh form, in man's visage, bringing upon themselves damnation. That's not the way that we should be. A little earlier in this same chapter, Matthew 23, he says in verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. What's this say for you in this latter year that they're confoking? What it says is that there are people out there who will not be entering into the kingdom through their own disobedience, whether it be their refusal to be baptized, whether it's their refusal to do exactly what Jesus Christ says in his word, and he meant. Every single word that Jesus Christ said, he meant. And I might add also, while he taught and confirmed and won up the Old Testament, if there were to be any inconsistency between the Old Testament and the New, then Jesus' words would trump the Old Testament. So Jesus, who spent all his time attacking the organized religion, the universalist of his time, calling them hypocrites, would also spend a majority of his time telling other people that they should tend to themselves. Time and time again. But it wasn't only Jesus Christ who taught this. And many people out there who love slandering other preachers, 
also adhere to what's known as an anti-Pauline theory. They'll come along and say, well, I don't believe with Paul. After all, he only wrote the 80% of the New Testament. He only gave us pretty much all we know of Jesus Christ, at least in this latter era. But in Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians, that's Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, we can begin reading in chapter 4. Chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 9, Paul says this, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Stopping right there, that's what God teaches. And that's confirmed by the whole of Scripture, Old Testament and New. God wants us to love one another. If we are of the white, Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian, Germanic kindred people, then that is what the goal is about. Jesus Christ would go even one step further by saying, Inasmuch as you did not clothe the naked, inasmuch as you did not feed the hungry, meaning your white neighbor next to you, you did it to me. Why would they not feed the naked? Why would they not or why would they not clothe the naked and why would they not feed the hungry? Because they were self absorbed hypocrites who spent more time worrying about self than they did the words of Jesus Christ, who says that we are to worry about one another, and Paul confirms it here. Brotherly love, you don't need me, Paul says, to write you anything. Why? Because the entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, teaches God wants each and every one of us to love him. Well, that may not happen. God would want each and every one of us to come to repentance. But it won't happen. But that should be the model that each and every one of us strive for, meaning that if we are like Pharisees saying, I know all truth, I'm the only game in town, don't listen to so-and-so, they're already earmarked for destruction, and that's most likely the reason they're trying to teach others to stay out of the kingdom. So misery truly does love company, and a glutton for punishment will take everyone down with them. And as I've preached time and time again, the burden of proof lies at your feet. It is up to you to be able to listen to whoever it is, Judeo-Christian or, or CI alike. There's no harm in hearing. There's only harm in believing and accepting a lie as truth. A Judeo-Christian can serve a good purpose, and in that I mean an example of how not to be. But Paul continues on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are on all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and you do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we've commanded you. The reason I'm bringing this up is the uh, Old Testament confirms this, and Jesus Christ and Yahweh God in the Old Testament are one, one deity, if you will, but... For lack of a better term, his name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Jesus Christ confirmed everything that was said in the Old Testament. And here, through his word, that living word logos, which I might add is an acrostic. Majority of people wouldn't even understand that term logos or word unless they understood the acrostics. Saying through Paul that we should do our own business. In short, to paraphrase, mind your own business and therein is the key. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Work with your own hands as who? We, the latter apostles, Paul, commanded you. Don't sit there worrying about what the church in Philippi is doing. Don't worry about all these other churches. Rather, worry about yourself and make sure 
that your doctrine is so sound and 100% pure before you attack, just like Pastor Eli pointed out in John chapter 8 with the woman taken in adultery. The teaching wasn't that adulteresses should be stoned, although by extension it is. The teaching was on hypocrisy and that that whore's accusers were all people who had more to atone for than the whore. And so Jesus Christ could say, go and sin no more, another command. But no man has all truth. And we do not own the body of Christ. If anything, we are lucky to be a member of the many-membered body of Christ. And that encompasses many ministries, many preachers, and many believers. If you think that you can come along through sending a tithe or by ordering a book and suddenly then dictate how a ministry should be run, what a preacher is teaching, and how they should run and establish and continue their ministry, then you better check yourself, dear kinsfolk, because that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They perceived Jesus Christ as a threat, and I might add, they went right out and did exactly what our modern-day detractors are doing. Straw man arguments. They couldn't come against them theologically, so they would say, oh, he picks corn on the Sabbath. Or he sits and dines with sinners and publicans. But finishing out 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Be quiet. Do your own business. Work with your own hands. Why? Because you're commanded. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12. That ye may walk honestly towards them that are without. What's that mean? That those who don't do this, those who spend all their time as busybodies in other people's affairs, are without. They're not honest. Only the true, genuine Christian who's working out his own salvation with fear and trembling will work towards them that are without, so that they may have. Meaning that if you are truly blessed by Yahweh, then don't use it as an excuse to go out and attack another preacher. How about plant some tomatoes so you can feed the hungry, so that you can give to those who are, quote-unquote, without. How about on a spiritual level, reasoning together within the scriptures instead of attacking people theologically? But time and time again, this is what people do. And we find a confirmation of this as well. Later in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians. Once again, we're going to read here. We're going to read the words of the latter apostles and see what they taught on Jesus Christ, who was our perfect example. Wow, Jesus Christ was our perfect example. He was baptized by John in the River Jordan. He was, quote-unquote, tempted of a literal de facto Satan in the wilderness. It does not stop the false prophet from coming along and telling you, well, I've got all truth. You better have it so worked out, dear kinsfolk, in your head that you know you have all truth before you attack somebody else. And on top of that, no man has all truth. So if you walk around with the belief that I could be wrong, in my humble opinion, you'll be doing better than all of those out there who say, I've got it all worked out. Why? Remember the parable of the sinner and the publican? It was the publican who sat there and said, hey, I gave a tenth of everything I ever made. I'm so righteous. I'm so pious. I've got all truth. I'm so glad God didn't make me like this sinner. But who made it in, dear kinsfolk? But the sinner. Why? Because the sinner was repentant. And that's what's required on the part of each and every one of us. But in Philippians chapter chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Who, speaking of Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But pay close attention. This is what Jesus Christ did as he walked the face of the earth. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. But made himself of no reputation 
and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now, our perfect example was a servant, and he taught it time and time again. Meaning that true love will fall under the category of what Paul straightforwardly taught. Long-suffering, patient, kind. These are all the things that love truly is. And I might add, by extension, once again, God is love. That is a gift that God gives us. The ability to love one another in the pattern that was already laid out. Not some emotion outside of God. But the spirit that God breathes within us gives us the compassion and the the ability to do that for one another. How do you think Yahweh God feels when one of his children is attacking another one of his children? When Christ himself, for lack of a better term, shed his blood, and that man that you are attacking may well be accepted with God, what does that say for you and where you sit? When you should be down in the dust of the earth praying and thanking Yahweh God for calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light, not using a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of knowledge as a cloak of maliciousness to attack everybody else that you disagree with. So we see that Jesus Christ, when he walked the face of the earth, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, made no reputation. Well, that's in perfect fitting with the rest of the Bible and Jesus' statement that my sheep hear my voice and will follow. If you believe in Jesus, then believe in his words. And right there, Christ is telling you that his sheep will hear his voice, they'll follow. Moreover, the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. Do you believe it? Well, many people out there do not. And the end result of their faithlessness and their disbelief is they attempt to take things in their own hands and say, don't listen to so-and-so. Don't worry about so-and-so. But this was not how Christ taught. Christ said, leave the blind alone. That is, if you believe them to be blind, why? Because if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. And they don't need any help from you to help them fall in the ditch or to get out. Reality is, is each and every one of us should be working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And on that token, Jesus Christ wasn't so worried about reputation. He was more worried about the truth of God, and him, in the end, was crucified and shed his blood on Calvary as an example of what happens to the truth-tellers. And so what I tell my flock time and time again is this. They come along and call you a Jew, no worries. They said the same thing about Christ. They said the same thing about almost every great man who lived. And Jesus Christ adds, marvel not when the world crucifies you, when they persecute you, when they cast you out of their company for my name's sake. Because why? They did it to him. Now, they could rebuke God in flesh form and profess to teach the law. Imagine the irony. Jesus Christ was that living word, according to the first chapter of John, meaning that the Pharisees were all engulfed within the letter of the law, but they never understood the spirit of the law. So much so that when Jesus Christ, the living word, or we could say, for lack of a better term, the Pentateuch incarnate stood before them teaching the law perfectly, they didn't recognize it. What they had done was turn it into a tradition of men, a tradition in attacking and stoning martyrs like Stephen or whores like the woman taken in adultery, all the while never spending any time focused on self, which is exactly what's being confirmed here. Study to be quiet means keep your mouth shut. Don't talk about other people. Do your own business means exactly the same thing. Work with your own hands as we've 
commanded you so that those who are without. And then he adds that she may have lack of nothing. If we are right with Yahweh God, then we don't need to worry that there's false prophets out there like Joel Olstein who want to come along and tell you that all races can be saved. Because we are concerned with God, knowing that God can work through us, and hopefully, praise God, be able to expand through our own righteous acts, through our own righteous works, or merely just our acceptance of Yahweh God, to be able to feed the hungry and to do many of the things that Jesus Christ taught. Jesus, basically, for lack of a better term, didn't rail against anybody but the Pharisee. He would say time and time again, leave them alone. Why? Because you must not have faith in God if you're worried about what they do. That's exactly what the Pharisees of old did. And there is no new thing under the sun. So, Matthew chapter 23 in the very beginning, verse 2 says this. Christ says, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, and observe and do, but not ye after their works. Pay close attention. For they say and do not. Now, that's the biblical definition of what a Pharisee is, a hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody who does not follow every single law, statute, and ordinance that's laid out within the Word of God. For example, they may get focused on this term universalism. They may end up quoting a verse saying, hey, I'm supposed to be a watchman, even though that has nothing to do with doctrine, and get all engulfed and wrapped within that, just like a Pharisee, and forget that Christ said, beam moat. If you don't get the beam out of your eye, how are you ever going to be able to see clear enough? Meaning, like I had said earlier, Somebody who spends all their time attacking somebody else is already blinded, and Christ confirmed it within his word. So while the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, Jesus Christ doesn't necessarily come along and say, well, just do whatever they say indiscriminately. He's talking in reference to the law, the law of Moses that the hypocritical Pharisee pronounced or professed to actually preach. That we should observe and do. But never should we be like they are. Why? Because they say and don't do. It's an ego thing. They'll come along and say, hey, well, I'll happily accept so-and-so if they'll. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll happily accept that, Pastor, if they'll come over here and wash my car and scratch my back. What is that but control? What is that but ego and power? That, dear friends, is not the, con not the mindset of God, not what Jesus Christ taught. Jesus Christ taught that we should worry about self. For example, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13, Christians are to be trustworthy. Quote, he that goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. End quote. What can we learn from that? Well, Let's point out the obvious. Frankly, those who go around as a talebearer, those who are busybodies in other men's affairs are not trustworthy. So their behavior dictates to you coming out the gate that you should be able to recognize that they can't be trusted in anything they do. So you think I'm going to sit here and rebuke another pastor who I dined with, who I supped with, in order to be able to go on a forum where I'm not even welcome? You can have it, dear kinsfolk. I'd rather surround myself with sinful men who are at least trying than one egotist who thinks they know everything to the point that they can take their own salvation in jeopardy and attack other people. How can I make that statement? Well, let's continue on before I explain that. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. 
What does tail-bearing do? What does involving yourself and other Israelites' affairs garner you? Quote, a perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. End quote. That's what it does. Separates friends. It separates the body of Christ, which is many-membered. It is so egotistical, so hypocritical, and so lifted up that they can say, Jesus Christ died for me, shed his blood, but not for this man. And that's the danger that you do not want to fall into, dear kinsfolk. Why? A perverse man spreads strife, period. Stopping right there. Men who engage in strife and love sowing discord are considered by Solomon in his Proverbs to be perverted. And naturally it stands to reason when the whole of Scripture says that we're not supposed to be involved in other people and other people's lives in that regard, unless we're doing them good, but we're not supposed to come out with railing accusation. Once again, that is a title for Satan. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and anyone who follows within his twisted path is doing the same exact thing. Why? Because God is the only true judge, and that's confirmed in James chapter 4, verse 11. Now, you've heard me preach on James before, and I love James and his general epistle. The reason for that is it's generalized. It's to each and every one of you, even today and this year, 2013. Moreover, James would have been considered the brother of Christ by the flesh. So if any apostle or latter apostle knew Jesus Christ, James would have known him the best. And he says in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, Do not speak against one another, brethren. Stopping right there. That's a commandment. And that is James saying, don't spend your time talking crap about other people because you may not have it all worked out. And when you lose sight of that aspect, you've lost all meekness and all humility. Jesus Christ would say, blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Meek means teachable. And somebody that's so lifted up on ego like a Pharisee cannot be taught they believe they know everything, and therefore it doesn't matter what so-and-so says. But how about if so-and-so, pastor, for example, is to bring one truth to the house of Israel, and this pastor is supposed to bring another truth, and together as one body of Christ, we are to be many-membered, and we are to respect one another. What if? Well, that's what Scripture says. But beside the point, God being the true judge, do not speak against one another, brethren. Why? He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. Stopping right there. That's why you're commanded not to do it. Because you're not better than the law. You're not better than God. If God says that you're to not be a busybody in other men's affairs, then he means it. Period. And you cannot add to or take away from it. You cannot justify it by saying, well, I'm the CI police. I'm a watchman on the wall. Aren't I pious? Aren't I rich? No, you're not. You're already wrong and already in error when you're spending all your time playing judge. God is judge. He is the one and only judge, and he will judge each and every one of us. And if we were to judge as men, we would judge wrong. We would judge our brother according to how they look, how they dress, what clothes they wear, what type of cigarettes they smoke, what car they drive. But God judges the hearts. And that is why man is instructed not only in the Old Testament law, but by Jesus Christ. Time and time again, judge not. Don't judge. You spend all your time judging, most likely you're not going to make it into the kingdom. So, he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Understand it. This is the concept and the context of what he's talking about. 
If you spend all your time talking about a brother who may or may not just be accepted with God, then you're judging the law. You're in essence saying God didn't know what he was doing. You're in essence saying that Jesus' grace and his blood is not sufficient for you or for him for that matter. And you do not have the position to do that. So remember, you must be a doer of the law. James says later in the same epistle, faith without works is dead, meaning it does you no good to believe all is real saved and sit on your love seat watching Monday night football if you don't have works to accompany it. The devils believe and tremble, meaning that if we're to be true Christians, the genuine Christian will strive to do all that he is commanded, more specifically the red letters of Jesus Christ, who time and time again said, don't judge. So for another witness, go to Philippians chapter 4. We already covered part of this, but I want to cover it again. Dwell on things that are worthy of praise. This is what the genuine Christian will do, according to Paul. Quote, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any of excellence and any worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things, period. Commandment. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If you believe someone's evil, then what makes you any different than Adam and Eve who believed that they could partake and or be engaged in the knowledge of good and evil and not be corrupted by it when even they couldn't? The reality of it is, is you can't. And when you've already been, if you will, rebuked by God, or you're already lifted up as an egotist, these are all the things that people will do. So what Paul's saying is we must focus on those things that are righteous, not the negative things that other men may be preaching, not worried about what Billy Graham is doing with his new Learjet, but rather worried about self. How can I say that? Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we're covering a lot of Paul, but I make no apologies for that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, quote, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, that those may give grace to those who hear. Now, there's a lot said within this, but first and foremost, what Paul's saying here is watch what you say and only say this. Don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Well, so much for profanity, huh? That's out the door. But not only unwholesome words proceeding from someone's mouth, a true, genuine Christian here in the book of Ephesians, according to Paul, is somebody who will only speak words that are good for edification. And not only words that are good for edification, meaning to build you up and to give you an increasing faith in Yahweh God, but that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace, meaning that somebody who's never listened to so-and-so, when they hear you rebuking them, you're already wrong in the first place. Why? Because you're not giving grace to those who may be able to hear. In fact, you're worried that somebody may. You spend all your time saying, don't listen to Pastor Visser. Well, guess what happens? More people listen to Pastor Visser. Granted, any man who spends a majority of his time focused on the shortcomings or the life in general of another is already pretty homosexual coming out of the gate because that's pretty gay, you know, first and foremost. But to add insult to injury, we see these people that cannot follow all of this. What good does it do you to have a little bit of truth? 
What good does it do you if you believe that all non-whites should be exterminated, if you can't back it in Scripture, if it's not accompanied with your own temperance, with your own patience, with your own love? And there's the word. While many people out there spend their time saying Christian identity is the white man's hate religion, no, it isn't. So a man's love religion. And Jesus Christ was driven by love for his own race, first and foremost. That's what led him to do everything. In short, even leading him to give up his ghost. Love, not hate. Not a hatred of other people. And that's the model that we should follow. Did Jesus Christ come out and say, well, Timothy can abide with us for a little bit, but you know what? We're going to rebuke him for this one. No, that wasn't the mindset. In Titus chapter 3, verse 2. Quote, to malign no one, to be unconscientious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. End quote. So the true genuine Christian will be gentle. Not only gentle, but subtle. Knowing that we are to be as wise as serpents, but harmless as doves, is in how you should be able to deal with your detractor. While the detractor goes out there saying, well, maybe uh, Pastor Visser should call us show so-and-so. Maybe you should listen before you speak. Because Proverbs says only a fool speaks about a matter before even hearing it. And tonight we preached on the evils of universalism. (laughs) Quite ironic. But be that as it may, there's a lot of people out there who think they're so dang great. Quite ironic. Wrong mentality to have. Why? Proverbs 15, verse 1. Be careful not to stir up anger. Quote, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Looky there. So that's the way the devil operates, is it not? Through harsh words, through malice, through contentiousness, through hatred, through strife, variance, and all these other things that Paul has listed. That's where you'll find the devil. But you won't find the devil where? In a gentle answer, because it can turn away wrath. So the detractor comes and they'll say, well, Pastor Eli said this. Pastor, Pastor Visser said this, even though we never said it. And they'll continue to lie time and time again because they hope that that somehow proves their theories, that they are so undubitably righteous. But no man is righteous. In fact, our righteousness appears as filthy rags before Yahweh God, according to the Old Testament. What does that say for the people who think they are so pious, so righteous, and so good that they can spend their time attacking others. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, taking about things not proper to mention. Now, stopping right there, what we see here is Paul instructing Timothy on how many people out there spend their time Not only gossiping, which is forbidden as per the Old Testament law, because gossip was forbidden whether it was true or not. The act of gossip was wrong and entirely different than slander. But also being busybodies. What's that say? Well, it means they're involved in other people's men, other men's affairs. That means they're all up on Pastor Eli's testicles instead of worrying about their own theology. That means instead of writing long treaties on how Yahweh has blessed them and how the Word of God and CI is truth, they instead waste their time writing long treaties attacking other people. It seems so common sense, doesn't it? If the detractor knows it, and the detractor can have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. So they can come along and say, hey, the law of God says this, but what about Christ, who says judge not? 
and we'll be covering that momentarily. So don't be a busybody, and don't go to and fro into everybody's houses, being involved in what everybody else is teaching, doing, and how they're living. Why? Because you're rebuking. And the reality is, is the only way you're going to bring anybody to truth or get them to be able to see the truth as it's plainly transcribed within the Word of God is, for example, more than bitching a good game, more than saying, hey, I'm the only legit game in town. Remember Van Harrell? Long gone. Why? Because he spent all his time attacking everybody else, talking about how Pete Peters was wrong, Wyland was wrong, never even comprehending that they were wrong because they were in direct violation of the Scriptures time and time again. They could justify it all they want. They could sit there and say, well, Wyland's uh, sending Bibles to Africa. Good. Let Wyland send Bibles to Africa. The reality of it is then he'll preach to, to niggers, will he not? If somebody's a universalist in CI, then let the blind lead the blind. They'll both fall in the ditch. Do you believe Jesus' words? He only taught it. Oh, no. Many of them would rather come along and say, oh, my God, I'm so afraid that one person might be able to hear this other preacher. That is the wrong mentality to have, and I want to prove that. Why? Well, Jesus Christ only taught in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, something called the golden rule. And while many people within CI love to denigrate this teaching, it stands today in the year 2013. And Christ meant it then, and he means it now, and he will mean it in the latter great white throne judgment. Quote, just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. End quote. How hard is that? In that statement is the statement, tend to yourself. It doesn't have to go out in any other regard. Now, Christ doesn't say, in the way that you want to be treated, uh, then do the opposite. But that's what a majority of people do. They want to take the grace of God, say, hey, this is good for me. I'm a friend of God, but this person can't be. This sinner, this publican can't be. Only I. That's pharisaical, that's Catholicism, and that, dear kinfolk, is universalism. So while the hypocrite comes along and calls you what they are, isn't it fitting that the only group of people in the Scripture that could be considered the universalists would be the Pharisees? Because the Catholic Church, and I'll cover some of that as well, is one of these people, again, who say we're the only legit game in town. Back to James, dear kinfolk, because in James chapter 3, we're going to cover something else says to control the tongue, that every word that we say, and every, every idle word, if you will, we will have to give an account to Yahweh God for. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, quote, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, and the world, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members, and that which defiles the entire body. Stopping right there. Man's tongue is what defiles the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the quote-unquote church. The body of Christ would be the ecclesia, the Israelites. What sets asunder the body of Christ? But man's tongue. Therefore, bridle your tongue, as Paul says, bring your flesh under subjection and stop talking about other people. It will gain you nothing and it will kill your ministry. And that's for free, dear kinsfolk. A little bit of word, a word, of the, word to the wise should be sufficient enough. But the tongue is a world of iniquity. It sets our members and it defiles the entire body, continuing on, and sets on fire the course of our life. And is set on fire by hell. 
for every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But the tongue cannot be. So, understand this concept, dear kinsfolk. The tongue is the most damaging member of the body. Not your thought, but what we say against other people. And somebody who spends their time attacking other people obviously does not believe that they will be judged in the same manner that they judge. They obviously believe that they are God. So egotistical that they can define who Christ died for or who he didn't. They can attack other people theologically and pervert it by saying, hey, I'm a watchman. Good. Be a watchman all you want. But all these things are none effect if you're found in offense. For example, you can spend your entire life slandering somebody, calling them a Jew, and you can even find out much later that that person you called a Jew was Jewish. But it does not erase the fact that you slandered. The ends never justify the means with Yahweh God. And that is why he says you must be careful what you say in season and out of season, period. Peter says the same exact thing. Now, many of you who are familiar with Covenant People's Church and Covenant People's Radio are well aware that I technically began my ministry on the teachings of Second Peter, more specifically the second chapter of Second Peter, because he confirms that there are many false prophets. And not only does he confirm that there are many false prophets, gives you the modus operandi of what they do, so you can better be equipped to spot them. In First Peter, however, beginning in verse 4, excuse me, First Peter chapter 4, verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffers a Christian, stopping right there, what does that say? What that's saying is exactly what I said at the beginning of this broadcast. And that is, if you see someone who is a busybody worried about another man and in another man's affairs, they're not Christian. Period. First and foremost, they're counted along the same lines as thieves, as evildoers, as murderers, as per the words of Peter. So do not suffer as being a busybody in other men's affairs, period. Other men's matters. First Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And therefore, this confirms exactly what Jesus Christ would say, that you may be persecuted, you may be cast out from certain people's company, but for my name's sake, blessed are you. Not for being an obnoxious prick, not for going around and being an egotist and saying everyone is wrong and being cast out like my detractor. So get it right and understand it. As per the words of Peter, somebody who's a busybody in other men's matters suffers also as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, period. So I have a lot to discuss and I have a lot to cover on this particular thing. But I want to skip ahead a little bit because this should drive home the point. In Matthew chapter 7, and directly to the words of our Savior, Yeshua Messiah. You've heard this taught in Judeo-Christian pulpits and in CI churches alike. But it's something that I think drives home the point, and we should take very serious. Why? Because it's the words of our God transcribed within our Gospels. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in the very first verse, says this. Judge not that ye be judged. Stopping right there. Judge not. That's a commandment. What are you doing? 
spending all your time attacking Eli James. What are you doing spending all your time attacking Pastor Visser, Marty? What's wrong with certain people that they can miss that fundamental concept written right there in the first verse of chapter 7? That Jesus Christ says, don't judge. Don't judge, period. That you be not judged. Why? Verse 2. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Do you believe it? You come along and you say, hey, so-and-so is non-white, and you find out later he is, guess what you'll be judged as? A non-white. If you come along, bear false witness, and say so-and-so is a universalist when they're not, you should already know in judgment you will be judged as a universalist. Sorry, didn't matter how good a game you talked. Didn't matter that you had all the pieces worked out or even transliterated your own Bible with no knowledge of the acrostics. What matters is that you took and judged yourself and brought it upon your own head. Quite ironic, isn't it? Who are you going to blame when you sat there and sat in motion? Your own judgment. By which manner, manner you judge, you shall be judged in return. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. Is that the mindset that a true Christian would have, spending all their time worried about what other people say, what other people do? Oh, no, indeed. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, continuing on. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? Why? Well, Jesus is going to answer it. The reason they do it is because they got a beam in their own eye. Therefore, they spend all their time focused on the splinter, the one inconsistency or their perceived inconsistency of the person they're slandering, gossiping against, and or attacking. But Christ says here that you can't even see clear. Period. Understand it. The reason he's making this analogy is anybody who's spending all their time attacking another man, according and as per the words of Jesus Christ, is already blind. And it's confirmed here. Why beholdest thou the mote that's in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that's in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. There's that word again. Hypocrite. Just like the Pharisees, just like a majority of Catholics who cling to the Universalist Church, they were hypocrites. Christ is saying here, and get it down, mark it in your Bible, and remember it. Hypocrites are people who spend their time talking about the sins of others, but cannot see their own sins, their own violations, and or their own transgressions of the words of Jesus Christ. For example, judge not. For example, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Where do you stand on that? Well, a lot of people out there have the faithlessness of the devil, if you will, and they want to visit that on other people. They want to sit and say, well, don't listen to so-and-so because they don't believe Jesus when he says, my sheep hear my voice. You think you're better than Jesus? Yeah, people who spend their time telling people who to listen to and not to do, and that's confirmed by Scripture. So if you're a hypocrite, what does Christ say? Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. First cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of your brother's eye. In essence, what he's saying is, you're blind. But if you're going to take your nuts in your own hand and spend it attacking another man who may be accepted with Yahweh God, you had better have your house in order. You had better have all your ducks in a row, and you had better be without spot and blameless like he was before you come along and tell Jesus Christ that his blood is not atonable enough to purge this person's sins or this Judeo-Christian of his universalism 
or this person of his past transgressions. Each and every one of us have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, for lack of a better term. Each and every one of us knew a point in life when we didn't have the light of Yahweh God. Now, how would it be if somebody came along to you and said, well, Christ didn't die for you, only me. How would you perceive that but hypocritical? That's because it is hypocritical. That's how Jesus Christ sees it. So, in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, there's an account, and I want to focus in on this. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Question right there. Why would they ask that? Because they never spent time with sinners and publicans. They sat there in Moses' seat. They would, for example, here's a list. They would, for pretense, make long prayer. They loved the glory of men. They would make and broaden phylacteries. When they would make public prayer in the street, they would say, look how pious I am. They would cover their face with ash. So everything they could be seen doing was just that. So they could be seen doing it. They didn't live it, but they could talk a good game. Living it is much harder and that's where many of us fail. A little knowledge, a little wisdom, and a little truth can be a dangerous thing. Because what happens nine times out of ten is somebody will take this truth, they'll say, hey, we're the Anglo-Saxon people, we're the Israel of the Bible, and they go right out and they try to protolize. They start trying to preach to people and bring them in ill-equipped, and that doesn't work. Humility. That's the one and only way you're going to be able to bring people to the truth of God's Word. Not through judging, and not through anything else. So, the scribes, the Pharisees, who, again, were considered hypocrites, saw Jesus Christ sitting with sinners and publicans. Perhaps could have been in a bar. Could have been a Halloween day party, for example. Could have been sitting there. Might have been one or two non-whites within the multitude of people. And what would the publican and the sinner do? Continue on. Let's see. Chapter 2, verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if you're so damn righteous, Christ didn't come for you. If you're not sick, if you're not a sinner, you have no position. What can Christ do for you? He can't work through your life. You've got it all figured out. And, of course, the fool says in his heart there's no God. Only a fool thinks they know it all. So you better get that through your head. We can learn from one another. You can learn from the devil, like I said. If only how not to be or how to please God. You can learn from a bad example. That's what bad examples exist for. So Christ's teachings on all of this, for those who come along and say, hey, this particular pastor sitting with sinners and publicans is that. They better hold no need of a physician. Why would you want to go and try and preach to the Pope who thinks he's got it all worked out? You'd have a better chance going into these houses of ill repute, quote-unquote, and bringing those of a contrite spirit to the Word of God. Those that are meek, those that have hurting and or longing within their life. But everyone else who thinks they know it all and have it all figured out, they're simply not going to make it. Why? Because they spent all their time judging, and they brought it upon themselves. So, as it was when I began this statement, I do want to end at least on the note that we find in several other places. For example, Job chapter 15, the Old Testament book of Job, many of you are familiar with it. Verse 34 says this, For the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate, and fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. 
No hypocrite will stand in the great and terrible day of Yahweh God. That great coming, great white throne judgment. All rudiments are burned up, and everything is set back to exactly how it was at the establishment of paradise in Eden. All things that offend, all false prophets, all hypocrites, and all stage players will be gathered up from the four points, and they will be gathered and burned by the angels of God. Why? Because they brought it upon their self. So remember this very simple promise from the book of Job. The congregation of hypocrites, it will, shall, not might, shall be. So check yourself. Are you being hypocritical? Because chances are pretty good you are. James says that every man sees himself as right in his own eyes. In fact, even elaborates the Old Testament teachings on this. Because every man walks in the name of their own God forever. Amen, period. That's Old Testament. Every man sees themselves as right in their own eyes. Even the adulterous woman can sit, dine with you, sup with you, having eyes full of adultery, etc. Wipe her mouth and say, I've done no evil. So consider that aspect for a minute. If every man can see themselves as right in their own eyes, then maybe living our life as esteeming every man better than ourselves would be the right way to be. And that, of course, is in Philippians, to esteem every man better than ourselves. And, of course, many people out there be like, well, how can that be? Every man, not every mud, not every Negro, not every whoever it is who says, hey, I be Christian. We judge people according to their works. Indeed, many men can come along and say, I'm Christian, but judge according to the fruits of what they say. The fruits, for example, consider this. Is a man sowing discord? That's his fruit. If a man begs for money, well, then that's what's on his mind, because Christ says, out of the mouth proceeds what's in the heart. If a man's spending all his time attacking another man, then within his heart is that desire. That's within his own heart. So don't worry that they exist. Rather know that these types of people must exist. And as they lie on people like me and they lie on pastors like Eli James, their lies don't stand. They are the rudiments that are destroyed. They are hypocrites who are taken and gathered and burned. And I say, good, let it be. That's how it should be. Don't want to surround myself with egotists. I want to surround myself with trying people. So the Pharisees did things for show. And certainly the Catholics also do this. The elaborate dress, for example, that the Catholic Pope will wear, well, that was forbidden by Jesus Christ, or at least considered a form of hypocrisy. Uh, carrying him down the street with smoke and, and making large sacraments, that's another form of hypocrisy, and parallel to exactly how the Catholics live today. No new sacraments are necessary because Jesus Christ has foretold us all things. Men bow to the Pope because the Pope wants to be reverenced as a god as Satan wanted to be. Satan, within his own heart, said, I will be like the Most High. I will descend. What does God do but judge? He judges all the nations. He created all the nations. For lack of a better term, why he involves himself in the affairs of man, his position that is separate from Jesus Christ, who is our mediator, would be judge. Jesus Christ confirmed that. He said, there's one man who judged even the Father, not me. But if I were to judge, my judgment would be true. But even Jesus Christ never judged. Why? Because it's forbidden in the Old Testament law. So, dear kinsfolk, we're coming up to the top of the hour. And with that, I want to wind this down so you can go on and listen to other preachers. And there's many other talented preachers out there. And I would say, once again, go listen to them all and come to your own conclusion. If you are a true man, woman, or child of God, a true sheep of Jesus, 
then you will not be misled. You will not fall aside to the voice of a stranger. And no amount of malarkey, bickering, crying, and kvetching from the enemy is going to change that. You're either a vessel of dishonor or not. You're either serving God or mammon. And frankly, I would rather side on the air of Scripture when it comes to get along peaceably with all men and to work for unity than to be aligned with people who are teaching you blind obedience on the Constitution? Are you kidding me? Whatever it is, it's seemingly designed to get you to have blind faith in man. Dear kinsfolk, the Constitution did not garner nor give us any rights and or guarantees that Yahweh God had not already given us in our word. If anything, it took your inalienable rights away from you. Would you rather listen to that type of horse shit than listen to the word of God? Well, there's people out there who come along and say Jesus was a trickster. There's no literal devil. Yeah. Burden of proof lies at your feet. Consider the works of the people. How much time is spent slandering others, and how much time is actually spent glorifying God, and more specifically and more righteously, doing the things that Jesus Christ says. Why call me good, or why say you love me and do not the things I say? A lot of people out there are exactly that way. They say, hey, I love Jesus Christ. I love his word. I want to put a Bible out. But they can't seemingly follow the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have people do unto you. That's the person, dear friend, that we need to mark and we need to admonish. And so, while Pastor Dan did not call in, he was scheduled. I do believe he is broadcasting now, so you'll be able to hear him on his own venue. And perhaps we will have him rescheduled for another time to actually talk about some of the uh, things that he's been dealing with as well. I'd like to remind you that for uh, not this week, but next week, next Wednesday, I believe it's the 24th and or the 27th, somewhere in there, Covenant People's Radio Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard will be having Pastor Don Spears. Many of you may remember him from about two, three years ago. Nonetheless, this was a Baptist minister, a man who preached Judeo-Christian dogma for years. And yet he was able to come to the truth, the Word of God. He didn't need a man to come along and say, don't listen to this guy, don't listen to that person. Rather, he came to the truth on his own as Scripture promises each and every one of us is going to either have eyes to see or not. No amount of pounding them over the head with a Bible or with your own beliefs, your own traditions of men that make null the Word of God is going to make anybody's eyes open any quicker. So, with that being established, dear kinsfolk, I'll once again remind you, swing by every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, covenantpeoplesministry.org, and you can join us, call in, actually ask questions, and become involved in in the uh, OB and Visser show. This Saturday we will be broadcasting also at 7 o'clock, and we'll have something different on Wednesday. So, while I didn't really strive to go beyond once a week, it looks like we're actually opening it up to twice a week, which is even better. But that's good. We have many guests slated for the future, and those men and women out there who decide that they don't want to play well with others, who want to be a separatist like the Pharisee, who want to subjugate themselves off, then good. I'm glad they won't be there, because that's not the proper spirit that each and every one of us should have. And so, until next time, this is Pastor Visser once again. From the heart of the dirty south, that is Brooks, Georgia, 40 miles south of Atlanta, wishing you and yours great studies. War for Christ. Amen.